You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. And now a word from our sponsor, SpyCloud, the leader in operationalizing cybercrime analytics. Traditional threat intelligence is a thing of the past. Cyber criminals are stealing vast amounts of credentials, session cookies, and financial data every day, and it's hard to keep up. SpyCloud is the trusted partner businesses turn to to fully understand their darknet exposure risk and neutralize threats before it's too late. SpyCloud alerts your organization as soon as an employee or customer's data appears on the darknet, so you can act faster than bad actors to prevent cyber attacks like ransomware, session hijacking, account takeover, and online fraud. With insights from the industry's largest repository of recaptured data, protect the digital identities and systems most important to your business. Get your free corporate darknet exposure report at spycloud.com slash cyberwire and see what information criminals have in their hands today. That's spycloud.com slash cyberwire. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Cyberwire's Research Saturday. I'm Dave Bittner, and this is our weekly conversation with researchers and analysts tracking down the threats and vulnerabilities, solving some of the hard problems of protecting ourselves in a rapidly evolving cyberspace. Thanks for joining us. About a month before ChatGPT came out, so that would have probably been sometime in October, I got access to GPT-3, and it, it occurred to me at that moment that people were probably soon going to be getting very cheap or even free access to large language models. And so now would be like an appropriate moment to look at how they might be used maliciously. That's Andy Patel. He's a researcher at WithSecure. The research we're discussing today is titled Creatively Malicious Prompt Engineering. So I, I started to just play around with ideas, you know, creating phishing emails and things like that. Um, and then I started to find more interesting things to do. And the research sort of morphed in that direction of, of a prompt engineering direction where uh, I wanted to discover prompts that did interesting things and in particular did things that could be used uh, in a malicious manner, such as fake news, disinformation, trolling, online harassment, uh, and those sorts of things. So that, that's sort of how the research started. Well, for folks who may not be familiar with ChatGPT, and, and I, I suspect most of our audience is, it's certainly kind of taken the world by storm or, or captured people's imagination. If you're unfamiliar with it, how would you describe it? Well, it's a natural language generation model. So it's uh, essentially, how could you describe it? Uh, uh, as an algorithm where you give it a string of words, and then it outputs a string of words. What it can do is, is continue a sentence that you give it. It can answer a question. 
It can um, generate lists. It can do simple mathematical problems. It, ex- it can explain things. Why do you suppose that this particular iteration of this kind of thing has uh, attracted the attention that it has? I think it's because it's now good enough to do a majority of the things that you ask it to do. And it surprised people in many ways. It's been able to do things that people didn't expect it could do. And so to the outside observer, it looks like our definition of artificial intelligence, right? It's able to come over or come across as a human almost. It's um, able to answer a great deal of questions. Uh, it's able to solve problems. Um, in some cases, it, it, people can also almost see that it's able to reason to a certain extent. It's the beginnings of what people hope will be artificial general intelligence, right? Uh, An actual thinking machine. Yeah, I've seen people say that um, even when it's wrong, it states the incorrect uh, information with absolute confidence. Yes, it does, yes. And that's a bit of a, I mean, that's a bit of a problem uh, that when people start to use it, to gather facts and and it state th- states things that look like facts but aren't you have to be careful well let's go through your research here together I mean, what are some of the, the the areas that you explored here we explored um several different applications uh, of this model in areas that we thought it might be useful from a, a creative point of view So there are people who have used this model to generate code, and they've also found that it can be used to generate generate attack code, for instance. Um, And that's like a cybersecurity application for it. But in in our case, we wanted it to to create written content. We wanted to use it creatively. Um, And the obvious first thing that we tried was to make phishing emails. After that, we looked at social media messages, designed to troll and harass individuals and to cause brand damage. Uh, We then went and looked at social validation, which is this idea that if there's a lot of engagement around a topic, people buy into it. So the example we used there was was the Tide Pod eating challenge, where we, we asked the model to generate some tweets asking people to take the Tide Pod challenge, and then we generated replies from people who had taken the Tide Pod Challenge, and then we generated replies to those from the original poster, thanking them and asking their friends to take the challenge and stuff like that. So that was another thing. Then we uh, we looked at style transfer, so a way of getting what, uh, the model to output something that uh, conforms to a certain written style. And we tried some sort of extreme versions of this, like Irvin Welsh's written style, but then we also tried a like sort of informal, internal company chat style uh, that people might use when they're sending emails to each other inside a company, and we found that it, it was able to transfer that style as well. Uh, and then we went on to to look at opinion transfer. So we asked the model to state some facts, which it, it did in in a very sort of Wikipedia like fashion. We prepended an opinion and asked it to state the same facts, and it stated them 
with that opinion in mind. Mm. Yeah, we did the same thing from from the point of view of politics. We did we tried the same thing from both a left and a right wing perspective. Then we looked at um, could we ask the model to generate prompts themselves. So we prompts are are the name of the input that you give to the model to uh, instruct it on what to do. So we we played around with the idea of giving it a piece of content already and asking it, can you write a prompt that was generate that piece of content? Sort of reverse engineering in a way. Um, and the last thing we did was we looked at uh, generating fake news, but fake news that the model couldn't possibly know about. So the model mm -hmm. that we were using was trained in June of 2021. And, uh, we went about trying to generate a fake news article claiming that the U.S. were the ones who attacked the Nord Stream pipeline back in uh, autumn of 2022. Um, so we provided it with some background information, and then we asked it to write the, uh, the news post, which it did quite successfully. The IT world used to be simpler. You only had to secure and manage environments that you controlled. Then came new technologies and new ways to work. Now, employees, apps, and networks are everywhere. This means poor visibility, security gaps, and added risk. That's why Cloudflare created the first-ever connectivity cloud. Visit cloudflare.com to protect your business everywhere you do business. I mean, speaking of success, I mean, what, what were the areas where it excelled and, and were there any areas where it came up short? I think for social media content, it did a very good job. It, did a, it wrote social media posts that looked like tweets. It automatically included hashtags. They looked very much like the sort of thing you would see on Twitter. For the things that it failed at, one obvious thing was if you ask it to generate nonfiction content, like an article, after like five or six paragraphs, it will start to repeat itself. So it can't continually write and add new facts. It sort of has this limited scope that it can, it, it can write on. And in fact, we saw it sometimes sort of repeat itself across the same line almost. Uh, so hmm. for, the, for the purposes of automating longer content, like news articles, you wouldn't want to automate that just in case it glitched in that way. Do you have a sense for where we stand in terms of automating some kind of, I'm thinking of like an adversarial Twitter account or, you know, a Twitter account where you have, uh, you know, bad things in mind, you're trying to sway opinion or something like that, or are we at the point where you could set something like that up? Uh, and do it in a way that you wouldn't have to have a human automating it? Could could you be confident that it would achieve what you set it out to do? Absolutely. I think you could do that. We uh, When we were testing, uh, testing like online harassment, we actually made up a fake company, and we asked it to also make up a, uh, the bio of the 
CEO of this fake company who is also a fake person, and then we asked it to to harass those and and to do brand uh, reputational damage and stuff. But I think in terms of like real world tweets, you could very easily write a script that search for certain keywords or hashtags using the API, read in the tweets, use a, a predefined prompt that basically just instructs it to write uh, write a reply opposing this tweet, uh, make it as toxic as possible, uh, and then have it post those tweets. What we found you could also do is have it rate those tweets that it wrote. So you could ask it to write 10 tweets opposing this make them as toxic as possible. It would generate 10 tweets, and then you could ask it, okay, rate the above 10 tweets on, on toxicity, and it would give you scores. And so then you could pick the, the most toxic one and have the, the script post that. So, yeah, absolutely, you could be doing that already. It's fascinating to me, you know, um, one of the things that we talk about uh, over on the Hacking Humans podcast that I co-host with Joe Kerrigan is that very often, I guess historically with online scams, the quality of the, uh, in let's just say English, you know, when people are trying to go after English language speakers is often a tell. You know, there's, there's bad English. It's, things are improperly translated. Um, this strikes me as something that you could use to run your text through or indeed have it generated from whole cloth and it really takes out that limitation of, of having good English is does your research support that notion absolutely yeah I mean not only that but uh, if you think about the task of trying to imitate someone's writing style that's quite difficult even for a person to do and you can take the need to have a, a skilled writer away from from many of these campaigns. In, in fact, it, we may get to the point where a perfectly written email asking you to click on a link becomes the suspicious thing, right? Because mm. right now we're looking for typos, grammar mistakes, badly written emails, right? But if everyone starts going towards using a model, then it's the perfectly written English that's suspicious because humans still make the occasional error, don't they? Right, right. Actually, yeah. Uh, this also reminds me of like I was looking at some forums where kids were using uh, the software to cheat on their homework and then they found a piece of software that could detect whether something was written by AI or not and then they were discussing how do you how do you um, beat this this detection thing and they found that by adding typos it would actually then not be rated as being having been written by an AI anymore <laughs> I wonder could could you uh tell this this engine to generate something but include some typos uh you can actually i saw something today where someone asked the ai to generate text and then they asked it to regenerate it such that it won't be detected by something that detects uh written con content written by gpt3 and uh and it rewrote it and it wasn't detected so you could even ask it to do that itself so based on the information that you've gathered here, where do you think this puts us and where are we headed with this, with this technology? I mean, what we're going to see is this technology being integrated everywhere. I mean, people are already talking about it being integrated into search engines. It'll be integrated into Microsoft Word, Google Docs things like that so that, you know, you can ask it to, to help you out with your writing. And so, It'll be used for a lot of legitimate, benign purposes as well as malicious purposes. And so 
purely detecting that something is written by an AI isn't going to be enough to determine that it's malicious. You're going to have to still understand what it is that's written there in order to to determine, is it online harassment? Is it trolling? Is it disinformation? Is it phishing, right? Um, And those are very difficult tasks. It's interesting to me, you know, as as a parent of of a teenager who you know has to submit and write uh, content, you know, in, in high school. Uh, I think back to my own experience, you know, before we were doing everything on computers, and just what a different experience it is for him. That you know, these days kids are handing in papers that everything's gone through spell check, everything's gone through grammar check, and we accept that as being the modern standard. You know, teachers don't push back on that anymore because. That's the standard. It's where we are. And I wonder where this leads us to. If, if, if every email, if every interaction gets run through something like this to be cleaned up, to be polished, uh, will that become the standard and, and just become the acceptable way of interacting with people? I mean, I suppose so. I, I, I kind of unlearned how to, to write with a pen ages ago. I haven't, haven't done that for a long time. Um, right. And, uh, I've heard of uh, schools going back to asking assignments to be handwritten, oh, and of course, like you know, you can have <laughs> you can have a model generate some text, and then you just you just copy it onto a piece of paper. Sure, uh, <laughs> right. but I mean, I think that um, the way this should be approached is that they are these are tools that we're going to have that everyone's going to have. Eventually, this thing will run on your phone, right? And it, it'll yeah. be able to help you out. So, so as a, a creative tool, uh, it's very useful. It, it saves you time. Uh, it, you know, it gets rid of writer's block. Uh, it comes up with suggestions for things. I mean, it should be embraced as like a way that we work on things. And if we already have things at spelling check and grammar check and autocomplete uh, the next word when you're typing, this is just a, a, the next logical progression from that. And so, if you're going to test someone with homework, then you should you should do it in such a way that you appreciate the fact that these things exist already. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, again, uh, forgive me, but I, I, I remember, you know, growing up and, and taking, you know, math class and, uh, you know, teachers saying to us, we couldn't use a calculator because uh, we wouldn't always have a calculator with us. And now, you know, I look at myself today and everyone around me and not only do we have calculators with us all the time, we have little tiny supercomputers that have access to all the world's knowledge, right? Exactly, <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's, a, it's sort of a similar thing that I, I see people talking about these whiteboard programming exercises that they have to do when they're interviewing at companies. And in mm. real life, if you're programming something, you're, sp- you're spending half your time on Stack Overflow. I mean, it's right. just natural, right? You shouldn't expect someone to, to, to know all of that stuff without looking things up every now and then. It's just not the natural way of doing it, is it? No. So I, I'm curious, what's the cautionary tale here from your research? Is there something that, particularly for folks who are in cybersecurity, is there a message they should take away from this? I mean, I, I've had a lot of questions uh, about what do we, what do, we do differently now that people will start to have these capabilities. And mm. from the point of view of, for instance, phishing, or, um, I mean, or, or disinformation, right? We, we already have 
human processes, things like um, phishing awareness, media literacy, right? Those are going to become more important. Uh, if you get a if you get a DHL phishing email, it's not going to be have uh, going to have been created by GPT three because they are going to copy the exact same email that DHL sends with the exact same uh, style and, and logos and everything. And it's only the link in there that's going to be malicious. So that that's not something that it, that's even going to change. But the way that we approach it is that we mouse over the link and check that it is legitimate or it looks legitimate, right? We, we look at the, the sender field. And those things are still going to be very valid if, if not more valid, right? And when it mm. comes to, um, to social media, you know, I think we might see an uptick in uh, like automated harassment, things like that, maybe spamming certain topics. There are, I mean, you, you hear about the fact that nation states employ, you know, maybe even tens of thousands of individual or of actual people um, to write trolling messages to write social media messages right that's probably not going to go away or if it is it's going to slowly go away and sort of become automated but um it's it's quite difficult to really predict when these things will happen i mean it's um when you try and predict when when criminals will take this into use it's going to be financially motivated whether it's got whether it's enough of a return on investment and as this stuff yeah. gets cheaper and easier, it's uh, more likely to be taken up. Another thing that I think is interesting is the fact that these models are already good enough at what they do. Eventually, they're going to get smaller to the point where you're going to be able to download the weights and run it on your PC. And when you do that, you're not going to have the safety filters that are in place right now that exists because you have to access it via an API. So when you're going to be able to run these things on your own computer, you're going to be able to do even more more stuff with them that you can't do right now because the safety filter just comes back and says no. Computer says no, you know. Our thanks to Andrew Patel from With Secure for joining us. The research is titled Creatively Malicious Prompt Engineering. We'll have a link in the show notes. Don't struggle to align your organization's cybersecurity with business risk. Get the only solution that goes beyond reacting to threats with vulnerability and risk monitoring. You need the next evolution of MDR, and only Critical Start delivers it. Critical Start doesn't just monitor and respond to threats. They put you in control by detecting suspicious activities, quickly responding to contained threats, and identifying your most critical assets and protecting them against vulnerabilities and exposures. With continuous visibility, expert guidance, and measurable risk reduction, Critical Start has redefined what it means to manage cyber risk. Demonstrate provable security maturity to your leadership while positioning your program to achieve the greatest risk reduction per dollar spent. Stop fearing risk and start managing it with Critical Start. Visit criticalstart.com and request a demo today. That's criticalstart.com. 
The CyberWire Research Saturday podcast is a production of N2K Networks, proudly produced in Maryland out of the startup studios of Data Tribe, where they're co-building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technologies. This episode was produced by Liz Irvin and senior producer Jennifer Iben. Our mixer is Elliot Peltzman. Our executive editor is Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening.